business, leadership, high performance, the journey. Hey everybody, we have an awesome episode here today. My guest here today, we are going to talk a little business, we're going to talk a little bit of football, we're going to talk a little bit of adversity as well. But uh, my guest today is a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur and success coach. Uh, he's also a public speaker and published author, uh, author of Winning from Walk On to Captain in Football and Life. And uh, he played for the Indianapolis Colts for nine seasons. He was also a captain on that team that won Super Bowl 41 versus the Chicago Bears. And recently actually just became a professional EOS implementer, uh, such as myself. And he really does this in conjunction with his own business uh, known as Champions Academy, where he really focuses on coaching uh, up-and-coming entrepreneurs on where to start and how to build their businesses. Uh, he's also the host of the Success Leaves Clues uh, podcast. So my guest today is Gary Brackett. Gary, welcome, man. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Great introduction, man. I love it. <laughs> you bet. Well, just a little bit of backstory uh, for our listeners here. So Gary and I met a few months ago. Um, we were on our virtual quarterly meeting uh, through EOS, which Gary and I are both a part of. But, uh, yeah, Gary took the leap, became a, a professional EOS implementer. And I remember we got put into the same uh, same virtual group online, and I thought, what the hell, Gary Brackett? That can't be the Gary Brackett. And, of course, I saw, and right away I recognized him, and I'm like, holy shit, that is the Gary Brack from the Indianapolis Colts. I thought, is this guy lost, or is he actually doing this? So it was, so it was, uh, it was, it's, it's been fun to, to chat with him back and forth here for the last couple months. I know we had a great chat one night just about marketing and getting started out as an implementer and such. Uh, but uh, excited, excited to dive into your story today, Gary, uh, about, like I said, business, football, and, and just the adversity and challenges and, and the journey that you've taken through everything. Yeah, man, I appreciate that. Um, it's funny because, you know, the EOS community, um, I think we're 370 strong now, and, you know, it's getting even larger, right, with new people jumping in. And, um, you know, we're talking about, you know, transitioning my last pivot from the restaurant industry, but as a business coach, you know, you meet companies and everyone wants to scale, right? It's just scale, scale, scale. It's the sexiest thing ever. Mm -hmm. And then you start helping them with their marketing and helping them with some, you know, website automations. And then you realize, like, hey, you you guys aren't running a business. Like, you guys don't have a vision. You guys aren't on the same page. You guys don't have the right people in the right seats. And all these different things that, you know, you see that's lacking in the organization. And I would always say, like, I'm just going to tell, you know, more people that you're not good at what you do. <laughs> so <laughs> I think re reading the book Traction, man, it was really just eye-opening in terms of being able to go inside of a company and get the you know, vision, traction, healthy. And those things are so important before you scale because you have to have that solid foundation. So um, I, I looked at it as a, another opportunity to help companies out, you know, get them strong, um, especially when, you, when you're running on, you know, traction that system, you know, some of the companies that are now are, are some of the most successful countries, you know, in the world. And I think um, it's impactful if, as a business owner to have an operating system that you run your system that you run your business on, mm -hmm. and I'm and I'm sure Gary, you as I mean a former professional athlete, you know, um, athletics at that level are very much a business as well. And I'm sure you saw, I mean, on the teams that you played on, you had to have those three things as well. You know, you had to have a vision 
for for your team for that season. You had to have that discipline, that ownership, the accountability, and then obviously you had to have the team health to make it all to all flow together. Yeah, I, I tell people all the time, right? So I was a captain. I was a walk-on originally, and then I became a captain. Um, obviously, part of the Super Bowl team. Uh, played with you know great Hall of Fame players, Reggie Wayne, Edrick James, Faint Manning. And that's exactly right. But I laugh when people say, you know, where'd you get your business acumen from? You played football for like nine years. And I tell people, man, you know, football is like a science. It's a business. Mm -hmm. And I didn't look at myself as the defensive captain. I looked at myself as a CDO. Right? I was a chief defensive operator. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and, like, my job was to communicate the game plan effectively, make, you know, um, pivots throughout the game, um, and all reinforce – you know, our objectives and all these things. Well, if you look at, you know, C-level positions in, in, in any business, and they're doing the same thing. So I think those transferable skills really helped me out when I transitioned from the game of football. Yeah, absolutely. You know, winning winning the game was the equivalent of a company making more profit and really making the impact that they want to make. Yeah, exactly. Cool, cool. Well, Gary, let's let's go back and let's talk about the journey a little bit here. So you grew, you grew up in Glassboro, New Jersey. Um, were you always a kid that wanted to play football? Were you one of those kids that grew up, you know, with that dream of playing in the NFL? Uh, yeah, it's funny. I always wanted to play football. I was the youngest of uh, – I had three older brothers. Um, so I always played against, you know, the older kids. Um, but, of course, right um, – what little kid doesn't dream of one day, you know, get his name called out the tunnel? And that was definitely a dream of mine that I had for a while. And it was just, you know, for me, it was just putting in work and just, you know, because I'm 5'10", you know, 228 is what I play that. You know, so many people had limitations that they would put on you, what you could and couldn't do. And for me, I'd always tell you, like, all right, well, let's just find out. Like, I wanted to see for myself. And, you know, by doing that, I just proved a lot of people wrong um, and being an undersized player, you know, making it to play in the, in the league for as long as I have. Mm -hmm. So growing growing up as a kid, Gary, were there any major influences in your life? I mean, was there was there a strong fatherly figure that really pushed you, um, you know, to, to always give it your all and to be your best? Um, was there anybody like that growing up? Yeah, man. My, my, um, my father was a strong figure. But my mother uh, was really the one. My mom was an ordained reverend, and she was a registered nurse. And she would be at, like, every one of our games, every one of our practices, constantly encouraging, you know, constantly, you know, teaching us, you know, as a, as a minister and always involved in the church. Her, her thing was like, man, the greatest among us will serve. And she always tell you, you know, I come home, I had, you know, four touchdowns, 100-something yards, She's like, yeah, your, your lineman did a great job blocking. She was like, you didn't do it by yourself. So she was always on me about giving other people credit and, and serving as a leader and, and not making it all about myself. And that really stuck, right, because that's what it's all about when you're in a leadership role. Um, you know, so many people think as CEO, all these people work for you, but they don't. Like, you work for them. And I think that's always been my mindset. My mom was someone who taught me that, like, hey, you know, the more you do for others, the more in return will get will, will get done for you. So she's definitely a blessing in my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really that idea of servant leadership, you know, is so big um, in businesses as well. You know, like you like you, you made a, an excellent point there talking about a CEO. 
you know, you can approach it as, you know, what I say goes and everybody listens to me and I'm the face of the company and I set the direction. But really, you know, a servant leader is letting that company operate from the bottom up, you know, and I know to, to speak in EOS terms a little bit as well, um, uh, you know, entrepreneurial operating system, the frame business coaching framework, you and I both implement uh, your best organizations is where everybody is heard. All the circles are connected. You know, everybody sees the data. Everybody sees the, the one big common vision, and it's really everybody taking ownership in that organization. Yeah, and, it, and it's beautiful when it works that way, and, 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 I, and you get a lot more buy-in. When, when people are at the table, you know, agreeing on a vision and, and, and aligning the goals and the core values – then inside of that organization, you have people that are all aligned, they're on the same page, as opposed to, you know, almost a dictator, you know, telling people exactly how they want it to be. Um, that 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 doesn't really get very far, especially especially in the world that we're living in right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's for sure. So, as a high school player, Gary, were you? I mean, you were a walk on at Rutgers, right? Correct. So, I mean, as a high school player, you weren't a four-star player that was super, super highly recruited. You know, you went to a college that was pretty local. Um, walk me through your high school career a little bit. You, you know what's funny? We played at a, a small school, Group 1 school, um, Glassboro, New Jersey. Um, so 500 kids were on the team, um, and we were pretty good. I mean, we made it to the championship game my junior year. We lost. Senior year, we made it. Um, um to the playoffs, we lost again. And I think, you know, the knock was that, you know, I'm an undersized guy at this small school. But, I mean, I was a dominant player. I was a two-way player, you know, um, all-conference, uh, missed all-state. Uh, I think it was more political um, um, than anything. But I was, you know, definitely a two-way player, man. I, I actually was a punter. I was a, the kickoff returner. So it was just, you know, one of those things, man, where just like I just love being out there on the field. But unfortunately, my my high school coach, he sent out my senior year playoff film to get me recruited. And, you know, I'm looking at it now. Kids are getting recruited as sophomores, as freshmen. You know, my senior year playoff tape is what colleges are watching. Like, So a couple uh, colleges came to my school because they saw me on, like, other people's film. And um, lo and behold, we go through the whole process. And um, there was, like, uh, my – core credits weren't completed and they were like undecided whether they're going to take a course or not. So then you had this undercased school, uh, undersized kid who, who, who wasn't even eligible. So that just turned a lot of people off. So didn't have any offers. So I ended up walking on at Rutgers and, and, you know, Rutgers is like you said, a local school, um, the uh, biggest school in the state of New Jersey. And when I got to Rutgers, I was told that I couldn't play football because I got into a special program that I had to focus on my academics. So my first year in college, I actually didn't play. Uh, I, um, I just focused on, on my academics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so we get to Rutgers. What was the, you know, coming in as an undersized player, um, you know, obviously had to meet some academic requirements up front right away. What was some of the initial adversity you had outside of that, of just trying to, of trying to make that team, of trying to, um, yeah, of, of, I guess basically it starts with just making that team, right? Yeah, yeah, making a team. Adversities were, um, one, I, I got into a, a bike accident my freshman year, 
and uh and and split my hand open like 15 stitches. I fell off a bike and put my hand down. So I couldn't use my hand my first season. Um, and then second, um, my third year in college, you know, my parents were paying full tuition for me to go to college. So my third year, I get a call from my father um, telling me that they can no longer afford tuition, that they refinanced the house twice, there's no more equity left, and that I'm going to have to leave school. Wow. So for me, it was um, a little disheartening. Just because I worked so hard, you know, I, I was at this time, you know, scheduled to play special teams, backup defense. And I told my position coach, like, hey, coach, man, I just want to tell you thanks for the opportunity, but I can't afford to wish it, so I got I to gotta go back home to and apply community college. And he was like, like, what? He was like, you know, on scholarship? He was like, like you're a second team. Like, a, a guy gets hurt, you're, you're starting. And then he was like, and, and you start special teams. I, like I know, I'm I'm a walk-on coach. Like I, you know, I don't know what to tell you. So he, he said he was going to talk to the head coach and see what they could do for me. So uh, fast forward the next day, um, I still remember I have my Honda Excel hatchback, sky blue, um, filled <laughs> to the brim with everything I owned. Right? Uh, I was going to get home one way or another. It, it shook when I went past 55, right? But it was okay. <laughs> I had a lot of time on my hands. Um, so I had a full. So the next day I go, I go to the coaches meeting, coach Terry Shea, and I walk inside of the room and he's sitting there and, um, you know, I'm like, Hey coach, man, I apologize. I can't, I can't stay, but you know, thanks for the opportunity. Um, he's like, Oh no, thanks. Uh, just sit down for a second. So I sit down. So he goes into his like, my like, Hey, like, Hey Gary, I want to tell you that we're going to recruit players that are bigger and better than Gary Brackett. And I'm like, Whoa, dude, like you don't have to like, you throw salt in the wound. Like I get it. Like I'm not your guy. So like I want to get a believe, and he's like, no, no, he's like, but um, but I want to tell you, I appreciate how hard you work. You're like, in fact, like you're probably the hardest worker on our team, and, and I wish we had 52 Gary brackets. And because of that, someone just dropped out yesterday, so I'm going to give you a scholarship. So man, I was just like happy, hugged the guy, one of those uncomfortable hugs where where someone doesn't <laughs> want to be hugged, <laughs> and someone else hugs the mess out of him, right? Um, so it's funny. So that I go inside of the weight room and it's like, you know, this is like a full team lift. So like 80, 90 people are in the weight room lifting weights. It's loud. So I go in there and my friends see me, they're high-fiving me like, oh my God, you're, you're here. I'm like, I got a scholarship. I get to stay. We're making all this noise. And then here comes, um, you know, team captain at the time. His name was Wesley Robinson. And Wesley is like 6'3", 245, 6% body fat, right? That's a specimen. Um, and I would always laugh and say he looks like Tarzan and plays like James. Um, but that's but that's another story, right? So then um, he comes to me well, like, hey, we'll hope he's listening, Gary. Yeah, I know, right? He, he, I'm going to see him one day. I'm like, hey, man, that's a joke, man. Just go, go with it. <laughs> um, but um, so then uh, he says to me, hey, what's going on? I was like, hey, man, um, I got a scholarship. I get to start. He was like, I mean, I, I got a scholarship. I get to stay. He was like, stay? He said, you should worry about starting. And I was like – what? He's like, you should worry about starting. I was like, man, I, I wasn't even thinking about starting. I was just thinking I had 40 meals on my swipe card, right? I get, I get like 144 meals. Like, I could eat three times a day. Like, I don't have to stand outside the mess hall now and tell people to let me in. So um, it's funny because at night I go home and I can't sleep. And I keep on asking myself, like, man, what, what, what would I have to do to be a starter? And then I start, you know, making up all these this list. Like, all right, well, you have to start getting up early. 
you got to start eating better. You got to start, you know, working out harder. You got to start watching film. You got to start, you know, uh, going to see the coach. So, you know, all this list that I made up, right? And they're like, all right, well, that's, that's what I'm going to do. And, and it's amazing. And I tell people that that was like a pivotal moment for me, like a paradigm shift. It's like life will give you whatever you not ask for, but whatever you agree to. Mm-hmm. And most people's challenge is that they haven't asked life for enough. Because when you ask life for, you know, a big amount, life's going to say, all right, fine. What, what are you going to give me? What do you want to give up? What are you going to sacrifice? And most people aren't willing to pay the price. But with the people that are willing to pay the price, that's when you see excellence. And I think, you know, from there, got a scholarship, became a starter, um, was an MVP my last two years, and, and had an opportunity to, to then move on and play at the next level. Wow. Wow. So, I mean, so you really went from, I mean, just being content to be on the team, and then, I mean, you got the scholarship, and then it was like, woo! But then it really transitioned to how do I take that next step? You know, how do I, um, how do I pursue the next thing, you know, starting and such? So, so going from there then, Gary, how did you, you know, when did you start to see the potential for, I mean, playing in the NFL? Or did you ever see that? Yeah, no, honestly, so... Um... It, you know, in my mind, I've, I've always thought I was NFL talent, right? Um, I think when when I played at Rutgers, we played against the Big East. So we played against Miami, Boston College, Virginia Tech. And this is when Mike Vick played, Reggie Wayne, you know. And in one year, my my junior year, Miami had like eight first-rounders. And in that game, I had like 15 tackles. Like I was like playing at that level. So I was like, man, dude, these dudes are going in the first round. I deserve a chance. So um, I, I just, again, just worked hard, man, and just was thinking, like, man, if I get an opportunity just to get to a camp. I'm just going to, you know, do my best. And the opportunity came with Indianapolis, and, you know, I kind of never looked back, man. They gave me an opportunity, and I just, you know, kicked the door in and just, you know, um, n- never gave up. Mm-hmm. So, so you came in, you came in undrafted, right? Correct. Okay. So what what was that journey like, Gary? Of I mean, you was it was there any? Let me ask you this first. Was there any hope of being drafted? There was there was there was a little hope, right? Because we, we you do like a pro day, and you know on a pro day you run a forty yard dash, you lift two twenty five as many times as you can get. You know all these exercises, and and on the pro day numbers, I was like the fifth best linebacker coming out in the country. It's like just on the numbers. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, you know, maybe someone will see that. Like, hey, this is a kid who's, who's running like a, you know, a low four six forty, who who's strong as hell, who, you know, all these numbers. Like my quickness was like a DB. So I was just like, oh, this, this kid could be pretty good. But, you know, uh, I didn't get that opportunity. So I got, you know, invited to camp as a walk-on without the Indianapolis Colts. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, obviously undersized, the size thing uh, held you back big time. What what was it about Indy that made them take a shot on you? I mean, obviously they can bring anybody into camp and they'll, you know, they'll bring multiple guys into camp and cut, and cut whoever doesn't make it. But what was, was there anything in particular that really intrigued them about you? Was it the work ethic? Was it just the numbers that you produced? Um, yeah, that's great. Uh, so Bill Polian, he's in the Hall of Fame, as is Coach Dungy. And Bill Polian was really great at finding people who fit their scheme. 
And in the cover two scheme, what you need is that middle linebacker to be fast enough to run down the middle of the field with with wide receivers. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, that alone, like if you look at our team, Bob Sanders, who's a potential Hall of Famer, is a 5'7", 580 guy, 195 pounds. He played that, right? Um, Dwight Freeney, potential Hall of Famer, six foot, six foot one defensive end. Um, Robert Mathis, six foot defensive end, another potential Hall of Famer. So he, he just had a knack for finding football players. And, and it's amazing, you know, bringing this back into the business world and coaching in the U.S., right? Right people, right seat. How do you find people that, you know, maybe their resume doesn't say, you know, this Ivy League college or someone else? But all the other tangibles and all the other core values that you hold there, they hold there. And I think, you know, more often than not, when you have an organization with people of your core values and not people that necessarily pass a look test, you're, you're going to be better because of it. Yeah, I think Bill Belichick is a fantastic example of that in the NFL. You know, a lot of, a lot of players that they've plugged into that system over the years at New England, uh, a lot of them are even undrafted players. And they went on to become very, very successful. And, and not maybe so much as individuals, but the team concept. You know, they were super, super successful teams because of it. Yeah, no, nah, I mean, he, and the great things that he does, and I coach third grade football, and I kind of do the same thing, is it's like, you know, so many coaches get caught up with their scheme. Oh, I got the best scheme ever. And for me, it's, it's never about my scheme. It's about, no, I, I coach football. And if you have a scheme that I can exploit and do something different than I've typically been doing, that's when I'm going to do that game because that's giving my best opportunity to win. And I think he really does a great job at exploiting other people's weaknesses. Um, and, and that's successful he's been able to, to be as a coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love how you brought up the right person, right seat, because that is so true on, on the – on an athletic field or on the gridiron as well, you know, just like in business, you know, you have to have the A, people that fit your culture, and then B, get them doing what they love doing but what they're very, very good at, you know. So like you said, when you play that cover too, you got to have somebody that can run down the middle of the field, cover that hole, you know, they got to be quick and stuff. Um, You were that guy that that filled that. So tell me, talk a little bit about just your transition into the NFL um, of finally making – that NFL squad, I mean, of, of that dream actually coming true with Indianapolis. You know, you grew up hoping that shot would come. You were undrafted, had a tryout, finally found out that you made it. Man, it was it was a uh, it was a great feeling, but it wasn't surprising because I my first my my rookie year I actually started like three preseason games. Like there was injuries that occurred, and I was actually a starter. So at that point, I'm like, all right, if I don't make this team, I'm probably going to make some team. Like, I have enough fill my hair with me playing well enough that I, you know, that I, you know, convince someone that I deserve a shot. But when I got the call, um, it was just, you know, so, um, man, just you're so emotional that, you know, I was going to be, you know, a member of the NFL. And not only that, it was like, hey, you're not only a member, and it's not like college. you like, you make a team, you're going to redshirt, like, you're a member, and we have a game on Sunday, and you're playing. And it's just like, oh, okay. So um, <laughs> it's just so awesome, you, you know, to be on the field with so so many great players. But then, you know, not thinking that 
the moment is bigger than your talent. And understanding that everything I did that led me to that point, that I deserve to be in that position. Mm-hmm. And I don't play small in, in a position that you would be long to be in. And, you know, just, just taking ownership of it and just going there and just working every day on how do I get better. Yep. I know, I know you preach about the concept of just giving yourself permission to lead. When do you feel, when do you feel like you really kind of hit that transition point or that turning point in your life? Was it back at Rutgers when that fellow teammate kind of pushed you for more or, or do you think it was somewhere else? Yeah, it, it, it's it's crazy because even you know in college when I became the the captain and and you know I remember my mom you know just reminding me you know the greatest among us will serve because you know you're caught up by numbers um, this guy is five star this guy is big you know hey baby the greatest among us will serve so just serve so I remember getting to the Indianapolis Colts and me being on a practice squad and on the practice squad you know. Every day I'm going against, you know, Edgar and James, Marvin Harrison, Reggie Wayne, Peyton Manning, Jeff Saturday, Tariq Glenn. So these are all Pro Bowl, Hall of Fame type guys. And this is who I'm facing every single day. And I'm like, you know, I'm giving them hell, right? And I'm giving them hell on the defensive side. And they're just like, hey, like, dude, like, this is like practice. Like, we're playing on Sundays. We're sore. Like, slow your ass down. I was like, no, like I'm like I'm I'm not trying to like make you look bad. I'm trying to make me look good, right? Um, so I remember, you know, they kind of cornered me one time, and they were like, hey man, yo, slow down. So I was like, <laughs> all right, I get it, right? So the next week of practice, I kind of slowed down, right? Um, and then we that week in that game, we lost. And then you know, you watch film, and Coach Dungey goes back and watch practice film, like man why that play was working all week in practice, and then we get to the game and it's not working. So then he saw me like taking it easy. So then he runs the film and he watches it, so he calls him to his office. So I'm like, oh, boy, we lost. You know, I had a bad week of practice. I'm going to get fired. And he was like, hey, like, what, what were you doing last week of practice? Like, are you all right? Are you interested? Something's wrong. I'm like, no, nah, nothing's wrong. I'm not going to tell him that, you know, people told me not to go hard in practice. He was like, hey, man, like, I, we need the best out of your practice. We're only as good as the looks that we get on defense. So I need you to go out there, and not only I want you to, to, to do a great job giving us a look, I want you to lead the whole look team to have the best look team in the NFL. I want you guys to give our offense hell because, the, you know, the, the more we sweat in practice, the less we bleed in war. And, and that was it, man. The reason we had a phenomenal team, the reason that we have the most wins of any team in any decade of football, right, the Indianapolis Colts in the 2000s, is because that was our motto. It's because we went to work every single day and we practiced harder than than actually the games were. And I think that mentality right there was just like, hey man, you're on you're on a look team, but I want you to be the leader. And I think so many people in their organizations maybe don't have that letter in front of their name and they're thinking like, well, if I was a leader, I would do things differently. And what I try to encourage people when I talk to organizations is like, hey, you, you don't have to wait until you get the letter to be a leader. And not saying that, you know, everyone thinks of leadership like I'm the one setting the vision and I'm the one, like, telling people what to do. That's, that's not leadership. Leadership is like I have a personal responsibility for, for what my job is, and I'm going to go out there and do that job to the best of my ability. And if there's someone else that needs help in that area, I'm going to help them to the best of my ability as well. 
And yeah. so when I tell people that anyone can lead, that's what I'm referring to. And it's not like, no, you still have organization. You still have a mission statement. You still have a vision. You still have goals that you want to hit. But in your own individual area, you could be a leader in that area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, leadership definitely is not contained to any role. I know you meant, you mentioned Coach Dungy there, and I know you know as as a former football coach myself for many years, over a decade, um, a huge football fan. Um, coach Dungy is one of a kind man, um, and I know you hear everybody around the NFL and anybody that knows football um, would second that. So talk a little bit just about Coach Dungy and the influence that he had on you um, while he was with the Colts. Yeah, I mean, Coach Dungy was, I mean, what you see is kind of what you get, right? He was a very solid man in terms of his philosophies, his work habits, and he just stuck to his guns, right? I mean, you know, a lot of times we would practice that we were sore and, and we needed a break, and nope, put on pads and let's go out there and get to work. And I think he was so disciplined, and he really just, you know, just taught me, like, never get too high, never get too low. And this even kill mentality in terms of like things are never as worse as you think they are, and 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 things you know although they're great, they're probably as never as they are uh, as well. So enjoy the moments, right? Don't beat yourself up with a negative thing, but just know you got more work to do. And I think you know that really served well, you know, as a father, um, serves well as a business coach because you know sometimes you get bad days. You know, you're not immune to a bad day. But the thing of it is, you know, how do I contain that into that day? Or how can I contain that moment into that moment and not let it linger and carry over? And I think to the extent that you could get that done is to the extent that you could be a, a great performer because, you know, some people are like, oh, I'm in a slump. Like, you're in a slump. Like, you know, you know I talk to these people in their sales team. Oh, I'm in a slump, man. This is not one of those days. And they're just like, no, every time you pick up the phone, you have a different opportunity to sell somebody. Like it doesn't it doesn't work like that, like the universe conspired against you that this is gonna be your bad day for the month. That that's not how it works. Um, so I think, you know, really, you know, showing me that, you know, every situation, you know, every moment, you know, should be cherished and be grateful for and just, you know, do your best with the moment you, you, you that you're in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So had to be a rude awakening just coming into the NFL, not. I mean, just the, the speed of play, the pace of the game, everything. What did, what did you – what do you feel like you learned? What, what were the biggest points that you probably learned in that first year of being in the league? More than everything, I learned that don't look at the back of people's jerseys, look at the front of their jerseys. And what I mean by that is, like, you know, so many times when you're going against competition, you're looking at a person and you just see their resume. Oh, that's Peyton Manning, you know, two-time MVP, you know, um, number one draft pick. And you look at all the accolades, and then you get a little intimidated when you try to measure your resume. And I, I really got to a point where just like, no, that's number 18. He's a quarterback. And he's looking my way, and if he throws a shirt, I'm, I'm picking it off and I'm taking it to the house. And I think that moment of, like, deserving and belonging and putting in the work is just so powerful when you recognize that. And it's like, you, you know, sometimes I talk to small business owners or entrepreneurs, up-and-coming entrepreneurs, or people who want to start a business, 
and they're on the sidelines and they're and they're thinking they don't have what it takes. But there's people far less like inferior than them doing far greater things because they believe in themselves and they took a chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no doubt. Um, yeah, you find that in the entrepreneurial world, uh, that is for sure. You know, it's it's not necessarily the most talented, the most skilled. It's the ones that are refusing to quit, you know, that, that are the ones that, A, are willing to take the risk, but, B, are the ones that, that make it too. You know, I, I'm a big believer, Gary, in the only people that don't make it are the ones that end up quitting. Yeah, no, no, no question. It's, it's not over. And, and it's not over until you quit, it, right? So you either win or, or you, um, if, if none of those things occur, right? You're still in the game. Mm-hmm. So speaking of players, I got to know this. Who were some of the tougher players that you went up against in the NFL during your time? Who were some of the ones that you maybe not dreaded playing against, but who were some of those those tougher ones that you knew it was going to be a battle? Yeah, I mean, obviously, um, Tom Brady, right? You just knew every game that was going to be a chess match, Ma- matching wits and, you know, his ability to, to use his mind to, you know, create leverage. That was always a mental battle. But uh, Maurice Jones-Drew, man, he was a really tough running back. He was fast, he was strong, and he was short, so you couldn't really see him across the line. So, right, so when you couldn't get to, you, you couldn't know, get your arms around his legs either. Yeah, not exactly right. <laughs> so, or, or that's why I came up like I was doing the whole shark tackling um, before you know Pete Carroll and everyone made it because I was like, you know what, if I try to tackle around someone's shoulder pads. That's a lot of, you know, room. But if I just focus on the near thigh and I chop that thigh and I grab it, squeeze, rip, and roll, like, they're, they're not going to want to stand up. So that was kind of my motto. And it was like uh, we called it don't wear the invisible suit, right? And the invisible suit is like when you're a linebacker and there's like an A-gap and it's like it, the gap just parts like the Red Sea. And you just run through it like, oh, my God, like, this is for me. And then, like, the guard, like, comes off the combo block and, like, <laughs> knocks you Charlie Brown in the air, right? Um, so I had this mentality, like, every time I ran through a gap, I came in there with bad intentions, like someone was going to meet me on the other side. But when I ran through the gap, I expected success. I expected someone to be there. Like, um, in the past plays, when I was in coverage, I expected the ball to be thrown my way, and I expected it to be overthrown. So when you, like, set yourself up for success and those powerful visualization tools, well, what happens when the ball is through your way, you're not surprised. You see so many guys, you know, miss an interception, and then they clap their hands like, oh, man, like, I didn't know the ball was right there. Like, so for me, I, I expected the ball to break. Like, I, I was upset when it wasn't there. So it just switches with your mind to expect success and prepare for it. And, and when, it, when it arrives, make sure you seize it. Yeah, that you mentioned visualization, Gary. That thing is visualization is such a huge piece, uh, whether whether it's in sports uh, and especially in business. You know, of being able to have that clear, clear vision, but um, going through it over and over in your head of what could happen, what are the possibilities. You know, how am I going to pivot if this happens? What if you know, uh, you know, as we're recording this, you know, COVID. COVID is going on and, you know, people have had to make some major, major pivots and you've seen a lot of businesses go under, a lot are really, really struggling still, you know, uh, but that visualization, it's all about preparation more than anything. Yeah, no, exactly, man. I think, um, I think, was Abe Lincoln, he said, if I had um, 
was it six hours of the chop down the tree? The first four I'm gonna spend sharpening my saw. Mm, yep, the axe. Um, yep, sharpen the axe. Yeah, so I was sharpening the axe. Yeah, so and um, and I think in business, you know, you see it all the time where people are so reactive, and you know they don't have that vision, and they're just showing up to the work every day, and they're getting ran by their emails or their cell phone, and you know the week comes up like, oh man, this week went past fast. Like I didn't get done what I wanted to get done. I'm like, yeah, you didn't get done because you didn't plan it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you didn't prepare for it. You didn't, you weren't intentional about it. And that's why I think, again, back to the operating system, it's just so powerful having a vision, having little 90-day rocks where you have actually goals that you want to achieve. And by doing that to yourself, you have metrics, scorecards, where you're going to measure your success. And, you know, it's so powerful that we would say in the restaurant business, if you can measure it, you can manage it. And it's so powerful to understand what your number should be and then put in, you know, some frameworks around that. So then you're going to work. And again, about being intentional, being intentional about your success, because, you know, success favors the prepared. And to the extent that you can prepare, you know, you can, you can, you know, increase your, um, your success in in your business or or even in your personal life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, yeah, with 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 the goals piece, you know, when you came into the NFL, Gary, obviously you had you had huge goals as far as what you wanted to accomplish uh, and such, and obviously winning winning a Super Bowl is you know the absolute pinnacle there. But your your NFL career did not start out exactly the way you wanted it. You had some big time personal adversity and challenges there, correct? Yeah, yeah, no question. I mean, you know, on, on the field, while I was experiencing. You know, success. I feel like my my personal life was unraveling. Um, I lost my father, mother, and brother on a 16 month span between 2003 and 2004. And um, you know, as a as a man of faith, um, it just you know my faith was tested. You know, in that situation, you just feel like you know you're walking alone. And I can remember. Uh, being up um, upstairs in my house back in New Jersey, Glassboro, and seeing the poem Footprints. And on the poem, you know, if you remember, it talks about a man talking to God saying, hey, I'm looking at my life, and in all these moments, I see two sets of footprints. But mm-hmm. in the toughest times of my life, I only see one pair of footprints. Like, why did you leave me in the toughest times of my life? And that's when, that's when God responds, my son, that's not when I left you, that's when I carried you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's always so, been one of my favorites too, Gary. Oh man, it's so powerful because you know we all think we got unique challenges. We all think our life is unique and our struggles, and no one can help us or we're in this thing alone. Uh, and it's just not the case. And you know, not only your faith will shift in you, but then also like being smart enough to be like, hey, sometimes you have to pick up the phone to call someone and get some help. And and this whole myth. Of of your week because you asked for help is is like the dumbest thing ever. Like now as a coach, um, having mentors, I've just seen people like ten next their lives in a very short amount of time because they had someone there helping them. And it's it's so amazing that more people don't seek out coaches, don't seek out you know help because like I said, you don't ask for help because you're weak. You ask for help you because you want to remain strong. And and bringing in someone from the outside helping you in your organization could be so powerful because they could see things that that maybe you you, you overlook or maybe you can't see. And to that extent, 
um, it can get you there a lot faster. And I, I'm also big on like this whole notion of like unlearning, you know, all these truths, or all these things um, that, that we've heard or we learned growing up. Like another one is like the whole, you know, it takes 10,000 hours to be an expert. Um, or, or people in business, uh, you're not going to make money for the first three years. Like th- that's neither one of those are absolute. Mm-hmm. And and why they're not is because when people hire coaches, when people plan and prepare and are intentional, they could be profitable from from day one, week one, month one. When people do that, they can sh- shorten that curve from ten years to two years to three years. Yes, it's still going to take some level of work, absolutely. But having a mentor, having a coach in your life is going to get you there a whole lot faster. Oh, absolutely. You know, I I always share my own personal story with people too about you know, working with a, a business coach out of San Diego for the very first time in my life who absolutely just blew things up. And I always say, you know, he was the first person in my life ever that really kind of ripped my guts out and set him in front of me and showed me everything that I had always known forever that was in me, but I just didn't know how to tap into it or what to do with it. You know, and it took somebody from the outside to really lay it out and, and give it to me straight, you know, and I think a lot of, I think a lot of entrepreneurs and, and business people struggle with the concept of, like you said, asking for that help and don't realize, you know, when you are, you know, I always say when you're in it up to your eyeballs, man, you can't see things for what, for what they really are. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, um, I think acknowledging that you need it, I think is just, and going through with it, man, it's, it's just powerful. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a sign of strength more than anything. So with with that, Gary, who who really helped you through that tough time? Because, I mean, that's that's a hell of a lot to go through, especially when you're transitioning, I mean, into, you know, into the NFL as a new player. I mean, to lose three, not just people you know, but three, I mean, immediate family members. Who helped you through that? Man, I think um, I had teammates, man. I have my best friends in the world is, David Thornton and Cato June, um, those two were both linebackers in the meeting room. And, um, man, they just made sure that I was always, um, like, included. Made sure that, you know, so many people have this misconception of, you know, and I guess it varies from people to people, but, like, when someone is grieving, they feel like they want to be left alone. And I'm not going to bother them. But for me in particular, and a lot of people that I talk with, they want to feel some sort of normalcy to what their life was previously, right? So being left out of stuff, people not talking to you or not thinking, I'm not going to tell you to talk to him because he just, you know, he came back. But for me, that's what I needed. I needed to be around people that I love. I needed to get back to my life and get back to my thing. And and they did that, man. I mean, it would be situations where, I'd be like, oh, oh, Gary, let's go to Bible study tonight. I'm like, I don't feel like I don't feel like driving. I'm like, I, I, I come get you, or, or you know, just you know, I'm in the NFL, but Gary, let's go to dinner. We're going to roof first tonight. Uh, I'm trying to save money. I'm like, all right, I'll pay. I'm coming to get you. Be ready. So, so all those things are just like, it just really shows you what a true friend was, man. And both those dudes were there, had my back, um, and 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 I, and I really love them for that. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, that's that's what good teammates do, whether it's football or whether it's business or whether it's pers- personally too, you know. Yeah, so no winning the Super Bowl, let's shift gears here a little bit. Tell me what that was like, Gary. 
It's something that not many, very, very few people will ever, ever experience. I mean, the reaching the absolute pinnacle of your professional career like that. Yeah, no question. I would tell people, um, I felt like the Super Bowl was a regular season game with the whole world watching, right? Um, but I think being on that stage um, is something that you dreamed about, and then and then fulfilling that dream, man, it's just so awesome. And it just shows you when you don't quit, and when you and when you continue to fight, like what's possible. And you know, our team, in you know, again, one of the most successful teams, but only with the two Super Bowls, won one and lost one. But on our first opportunity there, man, we just really maximized that moment, and it's a beautiful thing, you know, going down the history as a Super Bowl champion. And like you said, not a lot of people could say that they have that, you know, distinction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what? So you played nine years. What year was that that you won the Super Bowl? What What year in your career? Uh, we won two thousand and six. Two thousand six. So we won in two thousand seven, but it was two thousand six season. Okay. So that would have been what year in your career? Uh, what year? That would have been year three. Okay. So fairly early on in your career, then. Correct. Okay. So talk a little bit about Gary uh, leaving the NFL. So retiring from the NFL, because I think that's a huge, that's a huge, obviously a huge transition in people's lives. And I think that's one thing that people struggle with a lot. You know, when they lose something that has been part of them for so long, you know, almost a piece of your identity, or really it can be your identity. I think you see a lot of professional athletes get caught up in that. How did you successfully, successfully really make that transition from, being an NFL player to leaving the NFL to really, I know you talk, you talk to players about that transition as well, and then really getting into business. Yeah, I think um, for me it was um, knowing who I was and knowing that the NFL was not my identity. Um, and I think so many people get so caught up with, you know, having an identity caught up in their business or caught up in their occupation are caught up in their relationship. And I think that's so dangerous just because if that business occupation relationship is done or over with, then who are you at your core? So for me, I always realized that the NFL and football was a vehicle. And and once I was done with that, you know, I went back to school, retooled, got my MBA and and started, you know, being an investor, being being um a CEO. And, and just using just using the skills that I had from the NFL, using the skills I had from my NBA to really empower others and and, and try to build a, build a team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know I know one of the um, one of the pieces of info you had passed along to me is you do motivational speaking or public speaking, and you really made a comparison of inspiration versus motivation. You consider yourself more of an inspirational speaker than motivational speaker. Yeah, no, no question. And I think, you know, motivation is good. Um, but I just don't feel like I or anyone else should motivate you. I think motivation is internal. And I think it's very dangerous to think like, oh, yeah, I'm gonna, this guy's going to motivate me. Well, that's challenging, right? Because that guy's not going to be around all the time. So, so how are you going to get motivated when he leaves? So I think, you know, motivation is something that internally you should motivate yourself and how you do that by, you know, setting 
goals for yourself and finishing those goals. And as you start finishing that, that list, you should be motivated to do more things on that list because that dopamine hit from, you know, every time you, you know, conclude a task, you get excited like, oh, man, I made a commitment to myself and I, and I, and I, and I lived up to that commitment. Inspiration, I feel like I could light a fire inside of you. And what's the difference between a spark and a fire is that a spark, right, a spark, if you light a spark, yeah, it's there, but that spark is always going to be need to be relit. But when it's a fire, it's like burning, it's consuming you. I feel like that inspiration, I could like do something inside of you that give you a tool or technique that you could fall back on, that you can use whether I'm there or not, that you could then go on and like, oh yeah, he told me to do this when I'm in this scenario. Um, you know, you don't you don't ask for help for weeks. You ask for help because you're strong. I'm gonna go get help. Right, those transformational skills is something that's really going to be long-lasting after I spoke, after I presented, that people are going to be left with information that they can use and practice that they can lead better lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I know when I, when I speak also, Gary, you know, I always tell when people ask me, you know, oh, what do you speak on? You know, I always say, you know, adversity, obstacles, challenges, um, very similar to other people, but I always stress the fact that the difference between when I speak uh, compared to a lot of other speakers is I like to give concrete takeaways because I think, like you said, Gary, that's part of that is creating that spark of giving people things that they can really, really use because, you know, I think a lot of people really do lack motivation and they don't know why. And as you mentioned a couple minutes ago, you know, it comes from completing tasks and goals that you set for yourself because the more of those you complete – you build more confidence, and as you build more confidence, then the motivation will come. So I think a lot of people really miss where to start with that whole motivational technique to begin with. Yeah, no, I think you're exactly right because the challenge is, like, goal setting, like, what grade does AT set in? Yeah. Right? (laughs) Great question, yeah. (laughs) Right? Like, no grade, right? So the thing is, it is, is, like, you know, people – you know, have this dangerous mindset that, hey, I graduated school, you know, great, I'm not going to pick up another book. Or I graduated college, awesome, I'm done learning. And I think that's so dangerous, right, because there's so much information that's out there. And if you're not willing to rethink some things, relearn some things, unlearn some things, then you're not going to really understand the potential that you have inside of yourself. Mm-hmm. And inside of Champions Academy, that's our goal. Our goal is to have everyone recognize that they're a champion. And it's you know it's this beautiful thing where it was a, a artist who like uh, carved stone, and then it was like um, he was like, man, that's beautiful. How do you do it? How do you carve such beautiful stone? He was like, no, the stone is already beautiful. I just I just carve carve away the extra rock. And mm-hmm. I think you know people are already champions. You just have to carve away the disbelief. You just have to carve away the limited, you know, limited thinking. You just have to carve away the doubts, the fears. And when you carve those away, you be like, oh, my God, is that the same person? And it's absolutely the same person because they were inspired to change. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I'm, I'm a big believer too, Gary, and everybody has that in themselves. But like we said earlier, A, it takes somebody to pull it out of you, to show it to you, and B, you got to find that motivation to really to really do it, and that comes from following through on your on your own your own tasks, your own goals. So, 
Tell me just a little bit about, you have a book coming out, Championship Grit. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, man. I um, <clears throat> Throughout the, um, what is this, the pandemic, um, I know so many people are affected, right? I, know I was affected. I was in the restaurant industry. I had to give up some stores just because, you know, I didn't see a viable solution in there. And I think so many people, in my opinion, um, they hold on too long um, because they think, like, their world is going to be over if they have to deal with adversity. And, you know, I'm, I'm one, personally, that thinks the whole mentality of burning your boat and, you know, you know, going to, like, that's, that preaches really good. But in, in actuality, it's just like that's not the best, most healthiest thing. If you convince yourself that there's no other possible solution, then it's very dangerous, right? But in football, you know when teams became really successful is when they became the audible. When they became to say, hey, I'm going to line of scrimmage. I'm crazy if I run this play right here. I'm going to make an audible and I'm going to change the play. And I think to the extent that people have that grit, and have that emotional wherewithal that they could say, like, hey, I'm going to go through this adversity because it's going to be better on the other side. And I'm going to process this pain, and I'm going to use it as a tool to grow from it and get better from it. And when people are unafraid to handle losses, to handle adversity, they become, they become extremely powerful because then it's like, hey, you know, I, I can go all in and give it everything I got, and if I lose, it's not going to define me. Right, like failure is not like a defining moment; it's like a point in time. And to the extent that people can understand that, they can grow from it, and that failure can launch them to that biggest success. Yeah, yeah. Growth is only found through pain and failure. Unfortunately, that's the only way to get there, isn't it? No, yep, no question. Awesome. Well, thanks, Gary. Uh, I would love to chat further. I think we could go on and on about um, especially that last point you touched on, just the adversity and growth and such. But, uh, you know, some some awesome, awesome takeaways there as far as just, you know, digging deep to really find the power within yourself um, to be more bold and just go after the things that you really want and, and don't be afraid to ask for help. So, Gary, where can listeners, uh, where can they find you and follow you? Yeah, my website is GaryBracket.com, and then um, I'm on IG, Facebook, LinkedIn, and that's all Gary Brackett um, as well. Awesome, and be sure, everybody, to check out his uh, his Champions Academy as well. So uh, thanks again, Gary, and with that, uh, don't forget to follow me, you guys, on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook at Patrick Metzger Coaching. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in to the episode. Uh, be sure to subscribe to and rate the podcast, and as always, show notes from today can be found on my website, uh, Patrick Metz, Patrick-Metzger.com. And uh, lastly, uh, share the show. Share the show with somebody, whether it's an entrepreneur, whether it's um, somebody younger that's looking for not m- so much motivation but inspiration, like we said, uh, but need, but really needs to hear today's message. So uh, until next time, I want to remind you to own you and the journey. And, uh, Gary, thanks again for uh, hopping on here today. Appreciate it, man. No problem, man. Thanks for having me. You bet.